You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. All right. Well, good morning. It is great to see you guys today, and it's good for me to be back. Uh, If you weren't here last week, I was away as well. Uh, If you don't know this, we have uh, become the sending church for a church plant in Washington, D.C. named Veritas City Church. And our family pastor, Greg Gibson, who was here, uh, was sent to D.C. to plant this church. And he's been there for uh, over a year, but the church has actually started. And uh, they're about six months officially old. And uh, they were able to lease a storefront there in D.C., in Georgetown, actually. And uh, so they had their first, really, service there in that space, and he asked me to come and preach, and uh, it was a great night. They actually get to move into it this summer, and so pray for them. Uh, one of the many great things FC is a part of. And uh, so uh, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Todd uh, preached a great message, thankful for his ministry and uh, the sermon that he brought. And today, I want to continue in the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 26. A very ambitious sermon today, covering chapter 23 uh, through 26 today. Uh, Next Sunday is the final sermon in this series, and so uh, we'll be closing out the book of Acts. We've been uh, studying the book of Acts for several weeks now. Uh, The following week, so uh, two weeks from today, is our final sermon and final time in this room together. And so you're not going to want to miss that Sunday uh, as we uh, look at what God has done over the last uh, eight, nine years of our church. Really special uh, day on that day. And then uh, the 25th is the first day in the auditorium. And so I'm going to be sharing a lot of uh, important stuff that we're going to need to know uh, in this transition over the next few weeks. And so don't miss. And uh, if you're wondering if now is a good time to invite people to come uh, to Foothills Church, let me just emphatically tell you there has never been a better time to invite somebody to come to Foothills Church than right now and the next several weeks as we speak directly to uh, our community uh, in the next series that we're going to begin with Easter and uh, just going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal season. Uh, Today, this morning, I want to begin to share with you what God's plan is for your life. I mean, it's a good question to really wrestle with, and some of you probably have never thought about it, but what really is God's plan for your life? I believe wholeheartedly that God has a specific plan for every single person in this room today. And and I want to help you uncover what God's plan is for you and what that really entails. And today in Acts chapter 26, we're going to see how Paul had really made a plan. Remember how he had made a plan to go to Jerusalem and he was leaving his closest, dearest friends, uh, the elders in the Ephesian church, and they were trying to convince him to stay. And he says, no, I got to go. And he does go. And In chapter 23, he gets to Jerusalem. He's there for seven days, only seven days. The the Jewish leaders discover that he's there. They uh, arrest him, they beat him, and they flog him. And then he tells a Roman soldier that he is a Roman citizen. And when he tells him that, everything begins to change because you, you could just arrest the average Joe and beat him up and throw him in jail. But you couldn't do that to a Roman citizen. You couldn't treat a Roman citizen that way. He had the right to a, a, a legit trial. And so uh, they put him in jail, and then they uh, take him before the Sanhedrin, which is the, the, the Jewish high court in chapter 23. He stands before them. He gives an account of his ministry, and he begins to talk about how God raised Jesus from the dead. And an uproar began in the courtroom. 
they were so upset that the Sadducees were in this courtroom and, and they, they were Jews and they had a, a kind of a different take on uh, the scriptures. They didn't believe in spirits or angels or uh, the resurrection of the dead. And so when Paul said that, they just freaked out and they tried to, to grab him and, and, and really beat him up right there. And, and Roman guards whisked him away and, and put him in jail. And, and there he, he, he waited. And, and, the, and, the, and the following uh, passages a plan was developed to, uh, as they moved Paul, they were going to ambush uh, the guards and then take Paul away and kill him. Well, his nephew discovered this plan. The nephew goes to the Roman government, tells them about this plan. And so uh, they orchestrate 200 soldiers to take Paul in the night out of Jerusalem and take him to the city uh, named Caesarea or Caesarea, however you want to pronounce it. And so in chapter 24 in Caesarea, he is to stand trial uh, there before the Roman governor of Judea, and his name was Felix. He stands before him in chapter 24. He gives an account, and Felix is not like turned off by it. He actually knows a lot about Christianity. He's very interested in it, but he keeps him in jail. He realizes that he's innocent. There's nothing really to hold him there, but he keeps him there. And he and his wife actually have several conversations with Paul about Christianity. And the scripture says that he was waiting for a bribe. So if Paul would have slipped him some money, if somebody would have given some money to release Paul, he would have released him, but the bribe never comes. And so he just leaves him in jail in Caesarea. And and one month becomes two months, becomes six months, becomes a year. And eventually he's in jail for two years in Caesarea. Essentially he's innocent. Well, Felix is, leaves the, uh, as governor, and a new man is in town to be the governor of Judea. And his name is Festus. And Festus steps on the scene. He hears uh, the whole account here. And, and uh, as he is, is getting to know Paul, he's ready to release Paul. And then Paul does something that a Roman citizen had a right to do. He appeals to Caesar, which meant that every Roman citizen had the right to hear their case uh, before the emperor in Rome. And so I think Festus, Scripture says, was going to let him go, but because he appealed to Caesar, he had to stay in jail. And, and now, you know, he was awaiting this transition to go to Rome and to stand trial. And so as he's waiting uh, for this trial to take place, King Agrippa comes into Caesarea to say hi to the new governor. And when he's there, they learn that Paul's there, and Paul's really famous. They, they know that there's a struggle here, and, and uh, King Agrippa uh, knows the ways of Judaism. He knows about Christianity and so they decide to hear Paul out. And so they, they go into the theater of Caesarea. And uh, this was a theater that would have uh, sat, you know, several thousand people. And it's actually still there today. And uh, the, the, the governor was there. The king was there. Imagine all the rulers and leaders of the community showing up. And they're asking Paul to give a defense of his ministry. And so, so here he stands. When we went to the Holy Land a few years ago, my wife and I, we actually got to go to Caesarea. We actually went to uh, the, the place where they believe this audience hall uh, is, this theater is. It's called the Caesarea Theater today. And I think we have an image of it just to kind of give you a picture. But this is where they believe he stood and gave a defense. It just kind of makes it come alive. And they were setting up for a concert that night. And so Paul was there preaching and now concerts are there. But uh, pretty amazing. Right next door to the theater uh, were some ancient ruins that they excavated and uh, they've come to learn that it was actually a prison, a jail. 
And so they believe that's where Paul was, and uh, right next to the theater, very close to it. And just amazing to stand there and just to see, like, the history. And, like, Paul was really here before the governors, before the kings, giving a defense of his ministry. Now think about it. Paul had a plan. He wanted to go to Jerusalem, but now he's in Caesarea. Not only that, he's in jail, not for the night, not for the week, but for two straight years. He's innocent. Paul has a plan. What's happening? Can you imagine, you know, being rocked by, man, I've got this plan. I want to do something good. And now I'm in jail. How, how God just kind of blew up his plan. How many of you guys are planners? You like to plan. You love to plan. You're good at planning. You like to plan your week. You like to plan your day. You like to plan the month. You, you're so good at planning that people pay you to plan their life. And so you're, you're planning and, and you're great at it. But inevitably, the plans that we make sometimes get blown out of the water, right? And if you're the planner, you're that type of person, when your plan gets blown out of the water, you become very agitated and not very pleasant to be around. And, and can we get an amen by all the other people who know these people and you live with them, right? And so that, that's, that's part of life. We make a plan, plans seem to change, right? What happens when you're trying to make a plan for God and to do something great for God and it doesn't happen the way that you thought it was gonna happen. A lot of people see problems in their life and they see this problem, you know, we're, we're trying to do good, trying to do something great, problem comes up, and they think it's this huge, you know, uh, hurdle, it's this huge problem, I can't do it. What if God is the one that put that problem in your way? So that that problem would help train you, become the man or the woman that he is hoping that you'll become. And, and, and leading you to become. See, a lot of times, we don't even care about God's plan. You know, we care about our plan. We think our plan is the plan, is the mission, and we don't care about what God wants. We don't even think about what God's plan is. I can only imagine how frustrated Paul was. But here's the reality. Here's the, the sermon idea today. We need to make a plan, but we've got to be ready for a bigger purpose. Make a plan, make a plan for this week, make a plan for your career, make a plan for your spiritual growth, make a plan as a parent for your kids and college and future, and these are all great things, but just be ready for God to show up and show you that there's a bigger purpose going on. Um, last summer, uh, we, on our sabbatical, uh, we, we had a week where all we did was, was camp. And so we had this camper, and I had my four kids, my wife, and, and uh, we were having a great time. And uh, we were actually in Yosemite Park, and uh, a beautiful place. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. And we had been walking around and doing all the uh, uh, stuff and seeing the animals and seeing all the springs and everything. And, and so we were on our way to the campsite. And um, as we turned off onto the road, which was about five miles left, we thought, sweet, we're here. But as we turn off the main road onto this road to lead us to this campsite, it wasn't a normal road. It was a gravel road. And it wasn't just any gravel road. It was literally the worst road in the history of roads. Like there were potholes and huge rocks. And, and uh, I, I mean, I wasn't in a Jeep Wrangler. This was meant for a Hummer, a, a Jeep Wrangler to, to tackle, not a 30-foot camper. And so we're, we're driving down this camper and like we're bouncing and shaking and pots are falling and, you know, glasses breaking. My wife's yelling at me to slow down, you know, not yelling, but you know how it is, guys. And, and uh, she, she, she's super sweet, but uh, she was encouraging me 
to slow down and the kids are in the back shaking around, you know, they're getting sick and, and it was absolutely miserable. It took us an hour to go two miles. I mean, that's how terrible it was. And we still weren't there. About halfway down the road, I just stopped and I put it in park and I was like, look, this is not happening. We're not supposed to be here. We have got to find a different place. This is ridiculous. And I looked at my wife. She was in charge of making the plan for all the reservations for the campgrounds. So ultimately, it was all her fault. <laughs> and so I looked at her and I was like, why did you choose this place? This place is obviously not a good place. And she's like, this is the only one within 100 miles that had any reservations. And so we have to go. And I'm like, I'm not having it. I'm, I'm looking. And so I pull up my phone to find that I have no service. So... All right, we're going. So here we go. And I mean, it was, it was terrible. And we finally get there and we park it and like we, we have to settle down, calm our nerves. And it was this amazing, like beautiful place. It was right next to this huge lake, the mountains in the background. There weren't a lot of people there. And it, it was just an incredible experience. We skipped rocks. They didn't have a grill. It was one of these primitive places, so they didn't even have a grill. And so I had to man up and cook my chicken on a fire, which I didn't have a problem with because I'm a man, and that was, that was easy for me. And I'm a man of the woods, right? And so I'm, I'm grilling, you know, chicken on the open flames here. Then we did our s'mores, and we sat around, and we talked, and we laughed. And, and uh, it, it was just an incredible night. So fast forward to about a month ago, and uh, we, were, we were just— kind of talking, uh, I was talking with my son about, you know, just whatever, and, and then he said, you know that night where we hit that terrible road in that campsite? And I was like, oh, great. He's going to say, I learned that you're a terrible father, <laughs> and you're a, you're a terrible human being. And, and uh, he went on to say, that was the greatest night of our camping week. And I was like, Why? And he began to talk about what happened and what we were laughing about and stories that we, you know, had told and what was, what was happening. And, and I thought, man, isn't that just like God? Like when my plan is messed up and I'm frustrated and I'm mad and I'm miserable, God has a bigger purpose in mind. And it just reminded me to kind of open up my eyes and open up, you know, my perspective on life because I have a very narrow view of, of life, and I've got to do this, and now I've got to do this, blah, 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 you know. When God has a bigger purpose in store for me, he's got a bigger purpose in store for you. And today I want to look at Paul's journey. He's going to share how he came to faith in Christ. And, and in this story and how he shares it, we're going to learn what God's plan for our life is. And I hope you'll listen. I hope you'll take notes. And I pray that God speaks to us today. I believe that some of you in the room are gonna hear this maybe for the first time or maybe it's gonna click for the first time and God's gonna change your life today. Let's begin in verse 12 of chapter 26. Remember, Paul's in this theater. He's talking to thousands of people, all of these leaders. He's talking about his journey. And he says in verse 12, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. He says, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So Paul's talking about his experience when he sees the Lord Jesus and, 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 and he saves him. Verse 15, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, 
For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. The first thing I want us to see today that for you and for me, that, that God's plan is not up for debate. Look again at verse 19. He says, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly sign, this heavenly message to go and to be sent and to take the gospel around the world. You see, it's not up for debate what God has planned for you. It's not up for discussion. The call from heaven supersedes all other plans that we would come up with in our life. Paul had a plan. It didn't include following Jesus at all. He tells us here in verses 9 through 11 that he was in fact persecuting the church. If you've got your Bibles, you can look at it. Verse 9, he says, I was opposing the name of Jesus. In verse 10, he said, I locked them up. I put saints in prison. And then he said, we even put some to death. He said, I punished them often in the synagogues. You see, that was Paul's plan. Paul's plan was to end Christianity. He wanted to kill Christians. He didn't want to see it grow. And then he had an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. See, Jesus had a bigger plan. He had a bigger purpose. And his entire life was transformed. And when God called him to go and to take that message and to share what he had experienced with others, he obeyed that plan. He didn't argue. He didn't fuss about it. He he didn't push back on that. He submitted to it, and he followed God's plan for his life. I wish I was that quick in my life. Growing up, uh, my dad is a pastor, and so I was always in church. And I can remember even in the earliest days of, of high school for me, uh, a, a, a feeling and, and, and an idea that God wanted me to be in ministry, that God wanted me to preach. And I'll just tell you right now, that was the last thing I wanted to do. I had a plan for my life. It included a lot of sports. It included a lot of money. It included a lot of, a lot of things. And it excluded everything about preaching. Like I did not want to submit to that call. And so I lived my life really, really running from that call. And uh, all the way into college and all the way into the, the very last year of my, my college career, I was playing basketball at Carson Newman. It was the very last game of the season. And um, still... You know, trying to decide what I'm going to do. I mean, literally, it was March. I was graduating in a couple of months, and I still didn't, you know, have a plan. I knew what I wanted to do, but, but I, didn't, I didn't submit to God's plan, and, and I was still running my direction. And, and that last game, I, I turned a certain way. It wasn't a big pl- play or anything. I just kind of turned a weird way and, and uh, come to find out that I had herniated a disc in my lower back. And that began, began a year-long process of a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, a lot of emptiness. 
And it was during that season that God really humbled me. He had to take this physical aspect of my life away and, and uh, it became hard to put my shoes on. The pain was so unbearable. It eventually led to surgery and, and it was through that experience that, that God got my attention. God has a way of getting our attention. When he has a plan for your life, he's got a way of getting your attention. You can run from him, you can try to do your thing, but you will never be happy. You will never experience peace as long as you're running from God. I remember opening up my Bible really for the first time in my life and, and really, really reading it and really just growing this desire to hear from God. Church became, became for me not just something I had to endure and, and try to stay awake through, but it was actually this idea that now I'm going to experience the power and presence of God. God used that and he allowed that transition to begin to happen. And then he brought a woman into my life uh, named Micah, who I would eventually marry. And we started to date and I was still trying to you know, pursue. Even though I was growing closer to Christ, I was still pushing back away from God's plan in my life, even though it, it became even clearer in my mind, I had so many, so many fears and reservations, and, and uh, I remember never, never saying what God was doing within my heart until one day she said, uh, Trent, is God calling you into ministry? And uh, I said for the first time, yes, I think so. And she looked at me and she said, then what are you waiting for? And she's been cracking the whip ever since, you know, just... <laughs> I mean, God used that conversation. Like, what am I waiting for? Because the reality is that I was wasting my life. And, and here I had like the, this amazing woman who, who, if I don't act now, man, this, this thing could be over. And all of a sudden, I really began to dig in and have conversations. And one day I was in the car and the presence and power of God just came over me and just I remember breaking down in tears and pulling off into a parking lot and committing and surrendering my life to ministry. And it hasn't been easy, and it's not been all, you know, cupcakes and lollipops, but I praise God that he finally got me to a place in my life where I surrendered to his call and his plan for my life. And I just wonder today, have you surrendered to that plan? So I, not everybody is called to the plan that God gave me. Not everybody's called to full-time vocational ministry. Some of you are. Some of you are wrestling with that today. What are you afraid of? I wonder if, if maybe God would speak to you today and encourage you to, to go ahead and, and make that decision, nail it down today, say, yes, God, I will submit to your will. Some of you are in business. Some of you own a business. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are, are in finance. Whatever it is, I want you to know that that, that job is going to pay for the bills. It's going to feed your family. But that's not the only plan God has for you. You see, God has given you that job. He's given you these resources. He's given you this, this environment to live in, this city to live in for a bigger purpose. And the second thing that I want us to see today that, is that that bigger purpose is a plan to go and tell. It's a plan to go and tell. Look at verse uh, 16 here again. 
This is what he's telling Paul. He says, I'm appearing to you for a purpose. If you have your Bible, circle these words, the word purpose. God has a purpose and plan for every single person in this room. He says, I'm appointing you as a servant. Every single one of us are called to serve the Lord Jesus in some capacity. He says, I want you to be a witness. Every single one of us is called to be a witness. And then he says in verse 17, I am sending you. An amazing part of God's calling in your life, his plan is that you would go and tell. His plan is not just go and live a comfortable life. His plan is not simply to go to church. His plan is that you and I would be the church. We talk a lot about this at FC because it's all over the Bible. God sent Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. God sends Abraham to leave his hometown and go to a far country. And God promised that he was going to give him more descendants than the stars in the sky. God sends Jesus into the world to live a perfect life, to die on the cross as an innocent man, taking on the sin and and rebellion of the world, my sin, your sin. He dies on the cross as a sacrifice, an atonement for our sins, a payment to God for the crimes that we commit. And by faith in him, we receive eternal life and the hope and promise of life to the fullest. And if Jesus is your Lord today, he's called you to be a witness. He's called you to be a servant. He's given you a purpose, and it's to go and tell. It's to go and tell. So at work tomorrow when you wake up, go and tell. If you're a parent, you've got kids in school, you, you, they're in athletics, you, you've got hobbies with them, you're in environments, go and tell. If you're in college, if you're a student, you're going to class and you're living in the dorm. Go and tell. This is a part of God's plan for your life. Several years ago, my wife and I went on a cruise ship. Anybody ever gone on a cruise? Um, it's really a floating food barge. That's really all it is. Uh, you wake up in the morning and there's this buffet, you know, for breakfast. And, and you know, I just gorge myself with food and and uh, after eating so much food, you got to rest, right? I mean, that was difficult. So you kind of lay down, you take a rest, you take a nap, and then you wake up from that nap and you realize, oh, shoot, it's lunchtime. We got to go eat lunch. And so you go stand in line for the buffet again. You hit that hard and then, you know, you're tired again. And so, you know, you rest a little bit more. You, you take a nap and then sure enough, you wake up from that nap just in time to get showered up and ready to go to dinner. And uh, best food I've ever had in my life. It was amazing food and we just stuffed ourselves. If by chance you were hungry in between any of those meals, they have a 24-hour food buffet filled with pizza and hamburgers and ice cream and anything you could hope for. Now, after eating so much food and really doing nothing for a solid four days, uh, I, at the end of that, was sick of food. I didn't want any more food, and I, I was really bored, and we've, we've never gone back. It's just not my, my thing. Now, let me contrast that experience with a mission trip that I led to Capetian, Haiti uh, a few years ago. I actually took my then daughter, who was 11 years old, and, and uh, we uh, went to Haiti. It is the, the poorest country in the world, and there are no restaurants. There's no fast food, right? And so we uh, stayed in this mission home, and, and the locals there were cooking our meals. And so I would sit down to this meal that always had rice and some kind of meat in it, some kind of casserole dish. And, and I'm a simple eater, 
you know? Uh, so I, I, I'm not eating it, right? I'm, I'm just not going to have it. And so I, I push it around a little bit. I eat a little bit of rice, and uh, then we go. And we're, we're, we're training leaders. We're walking door to door, sharing our faith. And my daughter is there, and, and she's watching, and she's praying, and she's doing things. It was just an incredible, incredible experience. There was one time where we, we came um, upon some kind of seance, and it was like freaking us out, and we were in the middle of nowhere, and uh, so we had a fearful, like, Jesus, we, we need you right now moment, and, and uh, we still talk about that story, and, and uh, just so many things happened that week, and, and I think, man, I didn't eat a whole lot. In fact, after dinner, my, my, my daughter and I, we would go to our room, and we would open our suitcase to a glorious meal of beef jerky and, and grilled cheese-flavored you know, cheese and crackers. Like that was our meal. And uh, every single night, and I always took a case of Orange Crush. I don't know why, but Orange Crush, and, and uh, I don't ever drink that, but on mission trips, I always do. I don't know why. Um, that's not the point. The point <clears throat> is that little food, high energy, like little food, exhilarating, right? And I'll take that experience every single time when people are coming to faith and we're having gospel-centered conversations and we're training leaders. I mean, that is life-giving. You see, the reality is I know a lot of Christians who love the cruise ship diet. We love to get together with other believers and talk about the Bible. We like to learn. We like to call it digging in, you know, getting spiritually fed. We like to hang out with people who are like us, and these are great things. But if that's all you're doing, if you're not actually applying what you are learning and and using that for the mission of God, then days and months will go by and you will sit at the spiritual buffet line and you will find that you are spiritually overfed and you're not doing anything what you've learned. You've not used anything that you know to invest into other people. And I'll tell you what happens. If that's you, you get very bored with church. You get very empty. And then you want to begin to isolate yourself from the people of God. See, church is boring if all you're doing is sitting here and listening. If you're not actually applying that to your life and talking about it with other Christians, if you're not in the word of God and and trying to communicate what you know about the gospel to other people and investing that truth in other people, it's a miserable existence. I know because I too have experienced that kind of Christian diet. And I wanna tell you today that if, if you're gonna live and serve God faithfully, His plan for your life is a go-and-tell ministry. It's a go-and-tell plan. If you're missing that, you're missing a big part of what it really feels like to serve and follow Jesus. This is our No Place Left campaign. We've been talking about it for several weeks now. And right now we're in the phase of where we're literally praying for every house in our city. Several thousand homes that we need to pray for. I think we've prayed to this day, they told me this morning, 10,000 homes, which is great, but we've got triple that to go. If you haven't started to do that, then what are you waiting for? The plan of God is a go and tell, and, and this is like one of the, 
the, the easiest things to do. I, I actually took my dog Brutus on a walk, and as we were walking, I was praying, had my phone, and I was checking off homes, and I'm just praying. There's um, example prayers on the website that we've got, and, and it's just amazing. Pray for our city. That's an easy thing. In, in a week, we're going to give you guys some door hangers for Easter because we want everybody in your neighborhood to get that invite to Easter. So we're going to ask you to do that. We're going we're gonna to continue to ask you to do this. We're going to continue to push you out of your comfort zone. Listen, if you're not doing anything that relates to going and telling, life's going to be pretty boring. And I can tell you this, if you're not doing anything or attempting anything great for God, you're not really doing anything that requires faith in God, then church for you is just going to become routine. God's plan is that we would go and tell. Thirdly, what we learn about God's plan is it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plan that involves life and death. It's a life or death plan that we've got to understand. In verse 18, he says, Paul, I'm sending you to open up their eyes. I'm sending you that they would turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. You see, it's a life or death mission. What he's talking about here is lostness. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve commit the first sin. And when they sin, sin enters our world and changes everything. Each one of us in this room, no matter where you're from, no matter what color of your skin, we are all related to the same earthly father. We are descendants of Adam. And because of that, we have all inherited a sin nature. And that sin nature has put us as an enemy of God. We are rebelling against our creator. We are walking in spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness, under the power of Satan. And it's not until we hear the gospel and we put our faith and trust in Jesus that we move from life, from death to life, from darkness to light. That's why Hebrews 9.27 says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. You see, every single one of us is gonna die. And because we have inherited this sin nature, we have, we've all sinned, we have a huge problem. We're gonna die and we're gonna face judgment. Each one of us will face death and when we close our eyes for the last time in this world, we will open them to see the face of Jesus or we will open them to face the wrath of God. So the good news, though, is that when Jesus saves you, you experience his forgiveness for those sins. Look at it again in verse 18. He says, I'm sending you darkness to light, power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. You see, this is what Jesus offers to you. He offers you complete and total forgiveness of your sins today. And if you receive his forgiveness by faith, then you have a right relationship with God. God doesn't look at you as a sinner any longer. He sees the blood of Jesus upon you, paying for your sins. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Because Christ died on the cross, a payment has been made to God, avoiding his wrath, atoning for our sin. You have not always been forgiven of your sins. 
you have not always been a believer. You might have been raised in the church, but just because you were raised in the church and your mother or your grandmother had great faith in Jesus does not mean that you have great faith in Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you believe in God today, that doesn't mean that your sins are forgiven. Going to church does not equate to a a life of forgiveness. You see, there is a moment in every single one of our lives where we, if we are saved, every saved person's life, there's a moment where we transition from the power of Satan to the power of God. When we transition as a sinner, condemned by God, and then receive the forgiveness of God. There's a moment in every single one of our lives where that has happened, if you are saved today. My wife was talking to an eighth grade student last week and um, asked this very question, is there a moment in your life where you can remember that you put your faith in Jesus? And the kid's answer was, can't say that there is. So she preaches the gospel to him. He receives Christ right before recess. How about that? Get saved and you get recess. When is that moment in your life? When was that time where you said yes to Jesus? You invited him into your life. You see, we experience so many people in the world and in church who just think that, oh yeah, I've always been a believer. Oh yeah, been in church my whole life. You see, we're enemies of God prior to our conversion. Colossians 1.21 says, once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. You were alienated from God. I was alienated. I was an enemy of God. Until by faith I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and then I was a child of God. Has that happened for you? Is there a moment in time that you can look at and say, yeah, that was when I received Christ. When Jesus saves you, you find forgiveness, but you also find a place to belong. Look at verse 18 again. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You have a place in the family of God. Now this is huge because every single one of us is looking for a place to belong. We're looking for a place to be known, to be cared for. We're looking for a community of people. We want that sense of belonging. Remember when you were in middle school? Remember when you were in high school and you're just looking around? Who's going to accept me? What crowd am I going to be in? That never really leaves, even when you're an adult. You're looking, wondering, where am I going to fit in? Where do I belong? I'm going to preach about this in two weeks, so I don't want to say Uh, much today, but this is really a new phrase and slogan you're going to hear us say uh, to our community, that you belong here. We want our city to know that this is a place that you can belong. If you're new to FC or maybe today's your first time, I want you to know that this is a place that you can belong. Every single person in our city needs to know this. They need to know that if they, if, if, if they so desire, if they turn their life to Jesus, then they get to belong in the family of God. Now, not everybody wants that. 
Not everybody wants Jesus. Not everybody wants to be changed by Jesus, but the call is given to the whole city. You belong, come and hear, come and partake, come and experience the power and presence of Jesus. You belong here. The fourth thing and final thing that we learn about God's plan for our life is found in verse 27 and 31. We haven't read it yet, so let's read it. He's, remember, he's speaking to the king specifically, and he says, verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He asks him a question in front of all these people. Paul says, I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains The fourth plan that God has for your life is is that he demands a response. God's plan for your life is that you respond to him. King Agrippa looks at Paul and says, come on, Paul, you seriously think I'm going to make a decision that quick? You know, the first time I've heard you talk about this and you want me to respond to the gospel right now? And Paul says, absolutely, you're not promised tomorrow. He says, I wish that everybody that hears my voice would understand the Lord Jesus as I do and give their life to him, except for these chains that I'm still experiencing. But other than that, I want you to know, Jesus, have you responded to God's call in your life? Most successful and most, um, I guess, popular pastor, really, of our time, Really, the greatest minister since the Apostle Paul is Billy Graham. And uh, he passed away last week, February 21st. Dr. Graham preached the gospel to more than 215 million people in more than 185 countries and territories over 60 years. That doesn't even count the millions he influenced on TV and, and films. Billy Graham, for me, is one of the most influential men in my life. Never had the opportunity to meet him, but from his books, his sermons, the school that I attended that was impacted by his legacy and leadership um, impacted me greatly. I watched his um, funeral this past week. I I, I went back and watched a lot of uh, interviews and things where he had been on TV. Find all this on YouTube now. It's great. And I even went back and and watched uh, four different of his crusades back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And I think I got saved at all four of them at the end, right there in front of my computer. But just amazing to, to see the ministry and the legacy that he has. And as I watched this funeral, if you haven't watched it, you gotta watch it. I saw how this man and his legacy brought together so many influential people in one room. Leaders from around the country and world were there to pay their respects. The president, the vice president, other Uh, government officials all there in our country honoring him by allowing uh, that that rotunda viewing and and, uh, message that they gave there. It's just amazing. They're singing the hymn, To God Be the Glory. And I'm watching this and I'm I'm just blown away. And they're, 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 they're panning the crowd and all of these people are singing, To God Be the Glory. And it's just unbelievable that his legacy would 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 draw this amount of leadership there and people would sing to God be the glory. 
the news media there, broadcasting this message and, and service all over the world, live streamed. And during that message, there, that, that service, his son Franklin Graham preaches the gospel and just lays it out there and calls for people to receive Christ. And just amazing. His daughter, Anne, incredible, brought chills, brought tears hearing her speak. Phenomenal. His daughter Ruth told the story of uh, her season of rebellion and uh, how she went through a divorce and felt like she had, had, had brought shame onto the family and the guilt that she had wrestled with. And she said, during that season, I, I jumped out of that marriage and quickly started dating someone else and, and got married quickly. She said, the day after I got married, I knew I had made another big mistake. And again, I felt ashamed and felt like I'd shamed my family and my father's name again and wrestling with all of this guilt. She didn't want to go home and eventually she, she does. And she says, I was driving home. I was so nervous. I was so anxious, so embarrassed by my life and what I had gone through and what I had done. And she said, when I got to the driveway and I drove up that long driveway, when I got to the end, I found my dad, Billy Graham waiting for me to step out of the car. And with a warm embrace, he said, welcome home. She said, that day, he demonstrated God's love to me in my life and it transformed my life. In his final sermon he preached, he said this, no matter what your problem is, if you and I could sit, sit down and talk, <clears throat> I would want you, I would want to tell you one great truth. God loves you. And he can make a difference in your life if you will let him. God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world to die for your sins. And when you open your heart to Christ, he forgives your sins and comes to live within us by his Holy Spirit. It's a simple message, but one that I would echo today for each one of us today. Have we received God's plan of salvation in our own life? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you surrendered your life to his plan? He was asked by a reporter once if he feared death. And his response was, do I fear death? No. In fact, I look forward to death with great anticipation he said, I'm looking forward to seeing God face to face. And that could happen any day. I had the opportunity to hear him preach in 2001 at his crusade in Louisville, Kentucky, my, both my, my wife and I. And he closed that message. I'll never forget it. He said, some of you are thinking to yourself, you know what? I will turn to God. I will turn away from my sins and follow Jesus one day, but right now it's going too well and, 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 and I'm young and so I'm not ready quite yet, but one day I will. And I resonated with that because as I told you, that was part of my story and part of my plan. I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. And what he said next, I'll never forget. He said, the further you travel the road away from God, the less you think you've done anything wrong. And the less you think you need to repent, he said, you must make a choice today. 
And if he were here today, I know he would tell every one of us the same thing. You need to make the choice today. Don't wait any longer. Don't go my road and resist and rebel that led to pain and suffering. Don't go that way. Choose Christ today and his plan. What are you waiting for? I know that his plan for your life is not up for debate. I know it's a plan to go and tell. I know it's a life or death mission. And I know that he demands a response today. So aren't you ready to submit to his plan? Instead of fighting God's plan, how about today you submit to it? Would you bow your heads? With no one leaving and no one looking around, I believe with all my heart that some of you have never had a moment in your life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You can't go back to that moment in your life where you moved from spiritual blindness to to, to the point to where God opened your eyes, from darkness to life, where you've received that forgiveness and that place to belong. And so I wanna invite you to pray a prayer that I believe that God will use to save you today. And it's a simple prayer, but I invite you to respond to him today. Just simply tell him, God, I confess that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the grave. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me today. I receive your forgiveness and I submit to your plan for my life. In Jesus' name. Now I wonder that anybody looking around, if anybody in this room would just say, Trent, I just prayed that prayer and I wanna pray for you today. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. I just wanna pray for you. Anybody at all say, Trent, I prayed that prayer today and you would lift up your hand and put it back down. Anybody at all? I see you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? I just prayed to receive Christ. Thank you, ma'am. I see you. I want to encourage those of you who made that decision to let us know by taking the connect card at the bottom of that service guide you receive when you walk in and just simply check that box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. I'd also encourage you to to go to the care and prayer room and just simply say, today I gave my life to Christ and I just wanted you to know and they're gonna high five you and be excited for you. Some of you didn't raise your hand, but I know you made that decision and I wanna encourage you to take those steps to belong here at FC. Father God, you saw the hands, you saw the, the hearts, you know the situations that every single person in this room is going through. You know the struggles You know the sin, and yet you still love us. Help us to submit to your plan. Bless those, God, who made decisions to follow you today. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.